Former Los Angeles rock radio personalities Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita were looking for an outlet to continue to talk about their passions, radio and music. The radio landscape has changed so much over the years, and this podcast is their new avenue to discuss music, artists, media, and hopefully keep the spirit of radio alive. It's the Spirit of Radio podcast with your hosts, Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita. And now, here's Ken and Frankie. Welcome to the Spirit of Radio podcast. The Spirit of Radio. Well, let me, let me properly introduce you. Um, so our guest today is Danny Zalisco, concert promoter extraordinaire. Uh, and you've got this book out called All Excess. Not all access, which you had, but now you also have all access. <laughs> I've always had all access. Which I saw a lot in the pictures. <laughs> um, but uh, so you are a concert promoter, which is really interesting because, you know, we've, inter- we've interviewed people from radio, obviously on this podcast and musicians, but this is the first time I've spoken to a concert promoter, which has so much to do with all the amazing, awesome live music experiences that we've all been a part of. So we have you and people like you to thank for all of those awesome memories. You're welcome. <laughs> and you know what, uh, Danny, um, we both went through the book the photos are just incredible. Mm-hmm. You must have a scrapbook. I mean, because I, I mean, there's photos going back so many years. You must just collect all those things because, wow. Incredible. I've managed to uh, I've managed to keep pretty much everything that's come into my hands. There's very few things I don't have. And uh, every now and then I find something that I don't recall seeing or that I haven't seen in years and years. But most mostly um, everything I have, I saved for a reason. And, and the main reason was to find it again when I needed it to use for something else. Yeah. Um, I had no idea all those pictures were going to end up in the book, but um, it, the book kind of took shape of, on its own when we were putting it together, because I had this big question to answer, which was, do you do a photo section like so many books do, or do you involve the, the photos in the story so that you can help mm-hmm. tell the story? And, and I think, I mean, it's the dummy way out of writing and reading for me is that I don't like to have to be turning backwards or forwards to find what somebody looks like who's a big, you know, somebody in the book. So that one move took me a year or two to pull the trigger on. And once I pulled the trigger on, I was very happy because it allowed me to include that many more pictures. Also with the shape of the way the book is in that landscape design, rather than a typical portrait style book, it allowed me to add more pictures and to make bigger reproductions of those pictures. And um, it really uh, made it easy. Well, it definitely helped well, tell the story. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, so Danny, you're originally from Illinois. And what I loved about looking at the book is it started off primarily with sports. Now, obviously, uh, you know, you could tell by my hat, I'm a huge uh, sports fan. 
Uh, and so I particularly loved all the baseball stuff at the beginning. W were you intending to go that route um, uh, instead of music or where did all no, that you know, from? I mean, that's, that was something we, we do is when we're kids back then, we didn't have iPads and, and telephones to keep ourselves busy and babysit us like so many kids are today. You know, it's like, you know, a kid gets restless and the mom or dad goes, well, give him the phone. You know, I mean, and that's what calms yeah. them down or shuts them up. Back then, we had to go outside and play. And, and that usually meant sports or, or football or hockey, you know, living in Chicago. Um, and, you know, I mean, I know when you're, you're reading it in the context of this book, it's like, what, was this something that I was doing by design or whatever? Nothing was by design. This is just, you know, like you're an adult, you do things to keep yourself busy um, and, and when you're a kid, you got to do the same thing. So my thing was collecting cards and, and, and then we started writing letters to all these players and, and we got responses. And in some cases they'd say, Hey, you want a couple tickets to the game? Sure. You know, one thing led to another. We knew these guys over the period of like 64, 65, 66, 67 in there. And then, then towards after the mid sixties, towards the end, you know, the music took over and it was just that time of life. You know, fortunately for us, we, we were there when, when the transition took place from Elvis and Frankie Valley to the Beatles and the Dave Clark five and the Rolling Stones, and then to San Francisco and then to all the English acid groups. And, you know, I mean, it, it all kind of worked together in that, in that great decade there, and then the next great decade. And and oddly enough, sports didn't interest me as much anymore, you know. And I mean, my heroes, Willie Mays and Ernie Banks, were replaced by Owsley and Timothy Leary. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and Bill Graham. So, you know, though things, you know, things change as you get older, and you know, it it what I mean. If you think about it, back in the 60s, if a ball player would have gone to George Hallis or Vince Lombardi or one of these owners of these teams with an agent back then, he would have cut his head off. So there were no sports agents back then. It, it wasn't like something that I thought of. Nobody thought of it. And, and you know, I'm sure it occurred to actual agents, you know, because there's always been agents for movie stars and singers and, and so forth, but there were never really booking agents for authors or, or um, rock stars or, you know, doctors or chefs. And now, now you have them. So, you know, uh, I, I, I mean, listening to music or playing sports, I never really intended on getting in the business. That didn't come along really until much later. Um, after that, when, uh, when I realized I wasn't going to be a lead singer in a group and I wanted to be in the music business and this seemed like something that I could do, but oops, how about some money? You got to have money to do that. <laughs> so I, I got a little bit of money to, to start doing it, but it wasn't enough. Um, I, I realized one of the first things about doing business when you're starting a new business and somebody else is going to fund you, or even if you're going to fund yourself, 
you got to provide money for yourself to live, you know, while you're, while you're working on this stuff. And I didn't have any of that. So um, my, my beginning uh, days of doing this were numbered from the very beginning, just for that reason alone. Um, when I was able to actually get a job where I was getting paid to book stuff, even though it wasn't very much, at least I got, you know, the ability to work on a daily basis in the business instead of a show here or a show there, which is all I could, you know, get at first. You know, when when they don't know you uh, and, and you go trying to book a band, they, they, they either don't take your calls or they tell you, go get some experience um, and, and call me back. You know, and it's like, hey, how am I supposed to get experience if you won't sell me a show? Um, and yep. you know, sooner or later, some fool sold me a show or two or three or four or four. But by that time in 76, 77, um, I started booking a, a place called Dooley's like in San Francisco, Los Angeles, there are always these clubs available for new bands to play in, but we really didn't have that many back then in, in, uh, in the seventies in the Phoenix area, because the, the clubs, at that time would do cover bands that would come in and play three, four sets a night, you know, and they could be open all night until whenever the liquor law closed them down. Um, with concerts, uh, though, uh, they gave me at this club Dooley's that I booked, they gave me all the bad nights of the week to fill because they didn't do that much on those nights to begin with. On Fridays and Saturdays, they were booked. So the concerts were viewed by them as a way to increase their numbers on off nights. For me, it just added an extra hurdle to try to get people out on because when people, even back then when people were paying five and $10 for concert tickets in the seventies, they still wanted the right night of the week to go out. I mean, there was back then the whole thing was, okay, if I go to a concert tonight, I'm not going to go to bed till two or 3 AM. You know, nowadays you get out of concerts at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock and you're home sleeping by midnight, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, unless you uh, are, are, you know, you still possess a death wish like most concert goers used to do in the younger days. <laughs> hey, Danny, was this in the Phoenix area? Then the Dooley's was in Phoenix. Yeah. Tempe. Where ASU okay. is. That's 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 where you basically got into the, the promotion, uh, most of the concert promotion business in the that's, uh, Phoenix that's area. That's where really right? it started. I mean, I, I went to San Francisco prior to moving to Phoenix for a little while. Um, I, I got, I got some chops there and then, but the real deal, real deal came in Phoenix. And the reason I went to Phoenix to begin with again was because of sports. I would have never heard of Phoenix. It wasn't for the Cubs or, or the giants, mm. you know, I mean, all the yeah. teams went to spring training in Arizona. That's the only reason a kid from Chicago would learn about Arizona. I mean, it's different today because you got social media and you got the internet and all these different ways of finding things out. But back then, you know, you found out whatever your parents shared with you or your friends or whatever you picked up in school. Uh, but I mean, we were, you know, as kids up until I would say, well, like the late nineties, the early two thousands, for the most part, everybody's kind of kept under wraps. You know, everybody, you, you kind of had to live and learn on your own. You didn't, you didn't get to just Google stuff, 
You know, you didn't get to <laughs> Google, like, how do I reach a sports star or how do I get sex on the internet? You open whatever, the phone book. <laughs> whatever, whatever, phone book, whatever right. people, you know, do with these things, which is everything anymore. I mean, your record libraries in your phone, you know, as right. opposed to carrying it around, you know, your, your collection with you. Like I have back and forth all over the country for years you know, I don't do it anymore. But when I moved out from Chicago and I was going to Berkeley, I really thought I was moving. And the only one thing I really took was all my vinyl and my clothes that, and, a, and a record player and a stereo. And that was it. You know, I mean, that's you know, that was my essentials. I love the story of when you moved to San Francisco because you were quite young. You were still a teenager. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. I love the story of uh, the guy that gave you advice that said, just go to the venue early in the morning and just start unloading with them and act like you belong there. Yeah. That was a great story. <laughs> well, you know, it, oh, I mean, sometimes, funny. you know, that's all it is. I mean, it, it just seems like it shows. Now, I don't I don't usually go to shows at that time of the day anymore. I mean, my my usual show up time is dinner time. Right. Because there's there's all these people that take care of all these different facets of doing shows now. And if I go around there, all I ever do is tie up the telephones and get in people's way. Uh, and they let me know about it, too, by the way. Uh, and, and I get to sign checks when they're ready for me. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, showing up in the morning um, and you find that somebody there is always in need of somebody else to help them with something or take care of something. So around shows, it's never hard to be needed to go do something for somebody or go do this or go do that or run out there for this or go get that. And, and that, you know, that was kind of the gig for most of the day there other than loading, unloading gear. And then after the show, they said, Hey, if you're going to do this, you got to load back up afterwards. So after this fantastic night of a, of a great, great day of, a, of working on a show and then being at the show and, and meeting Bill and meeting these bands and hanging out with them, I'm ready to leave. I'm just delighted afterwards. They go, hey, where do you think you're going? Get back on that truck and load up some gear. So, you know, at, at midnight, one in the morning, <laughs> you know, this was this was my indoctrination on what happens at the end of shows because. I never stay around, you know, at the end. I mean, that's what other people get paid to do, not me. Hey, Danny, when you're talking about San Francisco, obviously I'm wearing my San Francisco hat. I'm from the uh -huh. Bay Area. And I used to go to shows at Winterland in the uh -huh. 70s uh, with the great Bill Graham. So I'm sure if you're talking about uh, doing concert promotion, being in the Bay Area, I'm sure Bill Graham must have been part of that experience. Oh. You know, you you can't you can't go to a show or go to San Francisco, you know, uh, in the seventies, eighties without running into Bill somehow. You know, whether is whether it's his name or yeah. his face or one of his posters or one of his ads on the radio or him in a deli. You know, you never yeah. know when you're going to find him. Yeah. Um, I met him early on, and and um, in fact, he he tried to get me to work for him up in Denver when I first started doing this and, and I would have been fun to take him up on that and go up there and do it, but he didn't offer me enough money. And, uh, you know, I, I thought he was going to offer me 400 a week. He offered me 400 a month. 
And, <laughs> you know, even, even in 1974, $400 a month isn't going to buy you too much. Right. Uh, $400 a week right. could get you just about anything you wanted back then. Um, now it's yeah. poverty level, but back then that was actually pretty good money. Um, but was he an influence on you at, uh, at any uh, uh, part in terms of, uh, you know, concert promotion? Well, you know, I, I never, unfortunately, I never got to work within his ranks to learn the business or know any of that stuff. That kind of stuff I had to figure out on my own or find out somewhere else. Um, he was instrumental in, for me in terms of the influence was about, you know, putting shows together. And, and just the whole, to me, madness or genius of, of putting the Grateful Dead and Miles Davis together, for example, um, for a concert. And, and it just makes so much sense. At the very beginning, when I started doing it, um, I booked Herbie Hancock and Weather Report. That was going to be my first show in Phoenix in April of 74. <laughs> $5,500 for those two. 35 for Herbie and two grand for Weather Report. This is in, in 74, right? So the what happened was the booking agent, the, the same booking agency, um, ATI in New York, also had Deep Purple on their roster. And they booked Deep Purple previously to my Herbie show in Phoenix at another venue. It was at a water park, an outdoor water park called Big Surf. <laughs> so... So uh, the agent calls me up one day. He goes, we're going to have to move that show. I got to cancel it. And I said, why? And he explains to me about Deep Purple in town the same night. And I go, the hell does Deep Purple got to do with Herbie Hancock? He goes, let me ask you a couple right. questions. He goes, do you like Herbie Hancock? I go, of course. He goes, you listen to Deep Purple? And I said, yeah. And he goes, what radio station plays both of those groups? KDKB, right? The station you're going to use to mm -hmm. promote Herbie. They're going to be promoting Deep Purple the Got same it. night. I said, so mm -hmm. what? He goes, you would go to either show, wouldn't you? I said, well, sure. Well, where are you going to go if both of those guys are in town that night? More people are going to go see Deep Purple. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. He goes, and, mm -hmm. and if your show doesn't do well, our act is going to come to us, Herbie, and say, why did you book us in the same town on the same night as Deep Purple? You know, because what will happen is when things like that occur, people will figure out a reason to bust you for it if there's one there. So what they're saying is, let's take the guesswork out of it. Well, what they ended up doing in all of their wisdom was they moved the show two and a half months later. It was June 21st we booked the show on, as opposed to April 8th, which was the original show. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I remember these dates like they're my, <laughs> my birth certificate, all right? So so uh, uh, they moved the, the Herbie show and two really bad things, three really bad things happened. The Celebrity Theater wasn't available, so I had to go downtown to Symphony Hall, which was never used for concerts, but it's a beautiful place. It's just never used for concerts. Symphony Hall in Phoenix, was the place, I don't know if you remember, there was a bus chase movie and a Clint Eastwood movie where it ended up on City Hall's front steps. I think it was, was it the Iger Sanction or a Dirty Harry movie? Is it? 
And anyway, that's that was Symphony Hall, and it, it happened right around the same time I was doing that show, so it was fun for me. I, I'm sorry, I digress. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sure. um, so Herbie moved to June 21st. So what happened was around May 8th, May 10th is when ASU got out. And back in 1974, Deep Purple was a very popular college act. And so was Herbie Hancock. Mm -hmm. Everybody was a big college act in the 70s, whereas now kids today wouldn't know who Herbie Hancock is, which is very sad. But that's another story. Um, bottom line, we ended up doing 1,700 people for Herbie out of 2,500. And, and I blamed the move on it because I lost weather report. They were booked that night. We had to move to another mm. hall. And most importantly, it was in June when all of the transient kids that come from all over the U.S. leave Arizona and go home for the summer. Yeah. So I got, I got right. three, I got two lefts and a right. I'm surprised they even did 1,700 people. But that, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that happens with concerts. Now, if I was a more experienced promoter, say I was Bill Graham, I would have told the agent to get F somewhere. You know, I'm not canceling the show. Yeah. Go screw yourself. That's what I should have said. Mm -hmm. And and had I done that, uh, I mean, the Celebrity Theater was and still is one of the favorite venues in Phoenix. Uh, and 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 it, believe me, uh, people wanted to see that show more than they wanted to go to a water park and see Deep Purple. But, you know, that was the Deep Purple lineup, man. That was the smoke on the water lineup. Kind of hard to beat. Anyway. So I want to I want to ask you about KDKB. Because um, in, you know, we both have, Ken and I both have radio backgrounds, you know, have done radio for years. And, you know, we've been to many, many concerts through our station. Um, you have to have a great relationship with radio. So what was that like uh, when you were starting out with the, that relationship with KDKB? It's funny you're asking me that because um, just this week, uh, the guy who's the feature writer in Phoenix at the Republic, his name's Ed Masley, calls me up and he goes, I'm writing a story about Linda Thompson, who was the music director of KDKB in the 70s. And I hooked him up with half a dozen people. He had no idea how to find them for this interview. I can't wait to see it. Um, the uh, KDKB, when I started, um, I, I came there in 1973. I, I lived there for part of the year. And there was a concert with this group called the beans and they were opening for little feet and the beans were the tubes who made, they left Phoenix, went to San Francisco to establish their fame and fortune. And I met everybody at that show from the radio station. And they were, you know, in 1972, 73, these people were the top of the pops in Phoenix. Like everybody idolized these DJs. They were like these mythic figures, like they were Pink Floyd or something like that, because they, they carried that charisma with them um, by, by being on the radio for three to five hours a, a shift and playing all that music for the first time to all these people. I mean, think of the music that came out in the early to mid 70s for the first time people heard this music. I'm not, you know, I'm talking about new Captain Beefheart records and new Little Feet records and Jerry Jeff Walker and Jackson Brown and Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen. ELO just came out. And, and I mean, and so 
this radio station played everything necessary and relevant. So you would be just as likely to hear Miles as Marvin Gaye as you would um, Black Sabbath. You know, I mean, they, they all. That's an incredible roster for that station. But that's, but that's what radio was always meant to be. And that's what it still mm -hmm. should be. And these people who are running these stations should be eliminated and brought to car washes where they belong because they have no business playing things for the public because they don't know how. That's the problem. I'm, not, I'm sure they're very nice people when they leave the office. In the office, none of these people know what they're doing because if that, they did that, know what they're doing, they'd play everything that's great and popular that we, the listeners, already know about and they don't seem to know. I mean, right. You made a point of saying that, 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 st that artists today just don't get heard because they are very conservative and, and kind of tunnel vision in what they're doing. You know, nowadays. it was, it was always like that. I mean, and, and it got to the point when you think about it and I started saying this to people, which did not endear me to real sensitive program directors. When I said, wait a minute, let's get something straight. You're going to last here a year or two at the tops. So don't come in here with all your wise guy ideas and all your attitudes and your knowledge about what you're going to do to this station in this market, which is fine right now. Why don't you just quit now and go get another job? They didn't like that. I said, you're, you're going to wreck everything. You're going to tell these people you're going to do all this different stuff. And a year or two later, you're going to get a better offer and you're gone. And you're going to leave some other schmuck in here. So Let's just do it right to begin with and don't mess around with this, 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 and this. Of course, that never works because program directors are always meant to change everything, even, even when it works. Um, you know, for example, KDKB was the highest rated station ever in the Phoenix of, uh, in the history of Phoenix radio. And, and once the main parts of that enterprise were gone, the station slipped and, you know, it still exists, but nowhere near the same way. I mean, they had a 17 share. Wow. Every bumper sticker, every every car <laughs> in that town had a bumper sticker on it in the 70s. And it was amazing. Um, but it, and, in and those days, you know, it it, it, it it we're still sort of living <laughs> off of the fumes of the greatness of that time period, even now, almost 50 years later. Um, there's still a lot of bands that are known only because that radio station, you know, helped make them popular. And uh, I, I really wish I wish radio is deregulated so that there would be that one wise guy in every market with 100,000 watts that would be playing everything. I mean, you know, they're out there. And, uh, Danny, I wanted to uh, tell you, you know, Frankie and I have been a radio and I've programmed stations i program klos here in la and stations around the country and um, this would probably be this company accepted of course <laughs> yeah. no 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 what, I, what i'm saying to you is this would be an, a a three-hour podcast <laughs> if we were to try and explain what's happened to radio and this is kind of why we call this the spirit of radio is because it is so different. And um, so we're trying to keep that spirit alive by, you know, talking to musicians, talking to people on radio, 
Uh, and it's great to talk to someone uh, like you who's got this experience as a concert promoter. Um, it, is, it is difficult to express how I feel the same way you do. And there are a lot of factors involved. Uh, but I guess that would be a, a, a conversation for another time. I had a question for you. It's a little bit off yeah. the subject. But I love the movie Spinal Tap. And I'm sure all of us do. Mm-hmm. And I am. I particularly love the part where I'm. I'm trying to remember the character, but he's backstage, and he's got the little pieces of bread, and he's got the really big pieces uh-huh. of meat. So the little breads. Yeah. Yes, the little bread. <laughs> <Hello. laughs> and and I laugh so hard whenever I see that because I can imagine that you probably had musicians that had special things that they wanted in the addendum you know whether it's the van halen the brown m and i mean please tell us some of those stories they've got to be priced the real story to that is you know concert writers started out as requests that that people would make when they're coming to town like like they'd call ahead you know because we didn't have email and so right. the way people that actually have to talk to each other on the phone say, hey, um, I really I'm going to need a, a carton of Marlboro's. I'm not going to have time to go to the store. Uh, we're going to need a dozen rubbers. Um, we're going to need local newspapers. Uh, we're oh, we're going to need some booze. Uh, I'm going to need a couple eight balls. You know, whatever they want to say, <laughs> they can say. And then they started getting wise and they started putting it in riders and they'd send them to us got as it. part of the contracts. So the thing is, you got to remember back in the beginning of all the sixties and seventies, things weren't quite as sophisticated as they are now, where now you've got Polestar and you've got computers that contain all this information about all the bands and where they performed and how many tickets they've sold other than the, you know, charts of, 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 of albums and records and things like that airplay, you also have charts for, for drawing. So we use all that stuff today, but back in the day, none of us had any of that stuff. And the only way you would know how a band did in another city is if somebody called you up and told you, or you knew somebody there and you called them up and said, Hey, did you go to that Emerson Lake and Palmer show the other night? How was it? Was it received well? I mean, everything was the longhand version. I mean, like when we were kids, we had an encyclopedia. Well, it's the same kind of a thing, you know, growing up in this business. So we would have to sit on the phone with agents and go through all these expenses for the offers. And remember, I mean, especially at the beginning, I don't know what all these costs are going to be. I don't know what the typical amount of money is for stagehands or security in a building or how much am I going to spend on catering for your show? So that's when they started developing the riders and sending them out. So you could actually cost them out and make plans for how much the show is going to cost you to promote and produce that way you could back into it with the ticket prices and go, okay, how many people is this band going to draw? And you'd have to make an educated guess based on the last time they played or based on another similar type of a group with a similar fan base. So, I mean, all this stuff goes into your mind when you're 
when you're trying to make deals for shows, which, you know, I mean, every now and again, you know, I, I mean, there must be mistakes out there. And somebody goes, all right, here comes Blues Traveler. Ticket started $3,000. Oops. Decimal points. <laughs> I meant 30. <laughs> oh. uh, Danny, I got a question on that note that you're talking about right now. So we... We interviewed Brian Wheat from Tesla a few months back. Great guy. And uh, he was talking about how when they were in the recording process, they'd go out for these big elaborate steak dinners. And they just thought like the labels were just kind of like um, doing it up for them. Liked- and then he came to find out that it was coming out of their budget. <laughs> well, um, is it the same way? Is that the same for the artists on the concert end? Because he was talking about the recording end. Well, no, uh, on the concert end, like, like, uh, somebody like in their, in their deal with me, they'll have, we'll have a catering number, like say for, um, you know, um, the Wilshire or, or, or the Fonda theater, whatever in LA pick out a thousand or Mm -hmm. 2000 seat place. You're going to end up having a catering budget of about $2,000 for any typical national act for a, for a venue that holds around 1, 1,500 people. In the old days, what would happen is they would show up and just start asking for all kinds of stuff. And, and maybe you've only sold half of your tickets and now somebody's asking you to spend more money and that'll flip you out as mm. a promoter. So what ended up happening was, it's very simple. You have, these days, you have to budget what's going to happen on the shows like I just explained, and you, and you have to come up with your ticket prices that way. And, and you're pretty much contractually enjoined in providing all the stuff that they ask you for. Now, they could ask you for ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff. I remember one time last year, a year before last, one of the new bands, I can't remember their name. I got to go back and find it. But they asked for a real petting zoo. <laughs> I thought this was one of the most clever, oh, one of the most God. clever things ever. And they asked specifically wow. for goats and rabbits, and 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 I, I wrote them back and I said, "Congratulations, that's the best one I've seen in years." And and you know yeah. the reason that they send that kind of junk out is because they want to see if you actually read it. And if you don't bring that up or mm. comment on it, chances are you haven't read mm. it, and they know what kind of day they're going to have yeah. once they get to your city. <laughs> So is that writer incorporated in the ticket price then? Because you have that writer up front? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you you make up the ticket prices overall because you're going to have a list. There's your list. It goes like this big. And, you know, you're going to have 15 grand in advertising. You're going to have a few thousand in catering. You got security for a couple grand. Um, you got state. You got all these costs. By the time it's done for a small haul, you're looking between twenty-five and forty thousand dollars to pay for all the costs wow. that go mm-hmm. on for the show. Now, let's say the band makes fifty grand, you're close to a hundred thousand mm. dollars to break even in a two thousand seat building. So the promoter's got to wow. make some money. So tag fifteen percent onto that. I mean, and, and I won't make fifteen percent of the gross. Believe me, it's fifteen percent of less. But you you want to get mm-hmm. that that's and then you got to give away comp tickets to the band and to some of your guests and some radio people for promoting the show. By the time you're done, your average ticket's going to be about sixty bucks, which means your tickets go from forty five dollars 
to $125. And that's why the spread is like that. Because you got to, at the end of the night, I got to come up with 120 grand to pay all my bills and make a few bucks. Yeah. So yeah. on a show like that, wow. my tickets are so expensive now. <laughs> well, but here's the thing also keep this in mind. As we're growing up, a lot of the bands that we were seeing, you know, they'd go from clubs to halls to arenas to stadiums, and then they're up in stadiums and then they fall off and they just don't remain that popular. But they're still popular yeah. to a great fan base. I mean, anybody will go right. around their whole career in life with two or 3,000 people a city in their back pocket that will come and see them. But the thing is, these groups, they start to enjoy those big ticket prices and, and especially the money that it brings them. But when their popularity fades, they go to smaller halls and we're still happy to see them. And we're even happier. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy to pay top dollar to see the band in my favorite smaller hall. And that's that's where it ends up. And that's why you see some of the great names you're seeing these days uh, for multiple nights uh, or even one night in, in a smaller hall with big ticket prices, because that's where you want to see that group after all these years. You don't want to go back yeah. to the hockey arena to see them if you can avoid yeah. it. Nothing against the hockey right. arenas. I mean, but if they maintain that kind of popularity, you're going to keep going to the hockey arenas. You know, it's interesting about that, Danny. So it's almost like yeah. a circle. You know, when you're first starting off, you're playing smaller clubs. If you happen to get to the stadiums and the arenas, and then sometimes on the on the end of the career, they're going back to those type of places. But I wanted to, I wanted to ask this question. Obviously, with COVID the last year, um, I can only imagine how difficult this whole thing has been to the concert business. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's ruined a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people who've lost their homes. They, they don't have jobs anymore. I mean, fortunately for me, you know, um, I wasn't an idiot and blew whatever came my way over all these years. And, and a year later, I, you know, I can take a beating for a year. Not a hell of a lot longer, I'll tell you that. I mean, but, and, and nobody expected. What are you hearing about? What are you hearing? I know there's virtual tours, but obviously I, I can't imagine that's bringing in anything like what a regular live concert would be. But what are you feeling and hearing now about the possibility of things coming back? You know, they were going to have something sorted out. You know, I mean, after all, our president told us it was nothing to worry about. Asshole. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the bottom line, the bottom line to all this right now is, is, is just the obvious stuff we already know. Um, the numbers got to go down again. They got to go down. People got to get vaccinated. Those numbers got to go up uh, and, and people got to quit getting sick. You know, I mean, because then it's not even a matter about mandates or rules or laws. It's how do you feel as an intelligent human being about sharing air with somebody in a place if you don't feel safe? Yeah. I mean, there's no other way yeah. to say it than that. And and I'm not trying to jinx anything because I can't jinx it any worse than it's already been jinxed. Now we got to get out of this jinx. And and I mean, I got my shots. 
Um, I, I'm hope I'm 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 asking or saying or you know are you guys to anybody I know did you get did you get shots I've actually had people tell me they're not going to get them and you know I mean yeah. they so they're now going to a new position in my phone book on the do not call list <laughs> yeah 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 start yeah I just got my uh, I just got my second uh, uh, about a week ago and and I I, I feel you know, that that should be something. I mean, it's a personal decision for some people, but I, I think it's the right decision. It, at least it is for me. Uh, I, you know, like Frankie and I were saying, I mean, I can't remember the last live concert I went to it. It was obviously, I think, well, it was, uh, there, was a, there was a radio convention thing in Las Vegas in February of last year where they had bands and that's been the last, so it's over a year. Yeah. It's you crazy. know, of, of all of the bands that, by name that I did of all the bands. The last show I did was Air Supply. Love wow. it. Is that the weirdest? Wow. <laughs> yeah, the I know. Air, Air Supply. supply. <laughs> so, COVID. Air so is Supply. That, is that Perfect. coincidence or irony? I don't know which. I think. I both. think. Wow. Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Uh, oh, well, I want to. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, anyway, you know, yeah, in, in, in that time, um, you know, we've seen what's we've seen what's going on. I know everybody's more than ready to come back and, and see shows and perform. Um, most of the shows that that I had on sale back then are still on sale. We never took them off sale. And all we've been doing is moving the dates to mm. the next likely mm. date that we can possibly get to. I've moved some shows four and five times already and, wow. and for the most part 70 80 percent of the people have held on to their tickets so i really appreciate that but more importantly mm. than appreciating it it just shows me they're in the same headspace that i am and i'm really happy about that they want to see their shows it's it's kind of like proof or a badge of honor or courage or something that they are going to see that show no matter what and damn it i want to put it on that's that's awesome. Very. I, I wanna I wanna fast forward a little bit through your career. Um, I don't wanna give away too much because we want people to read the book, which I quite enjoyed, by the way. So we should probably stop and tell the people where they can get that book. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, so it's it's a dzplive.com. And we'll if you if you uh, order through there. Um, I'll sign the book. We'll send it to you in a beautiful White Castle box container. Yeah. <laughs> uh, White White Castle has been kind of like our partners in this little thing. I don't know how it happened. I just asked. I said, you guys, do you have anything cool that we could promote White Castle with and use to house this book? Because it, it, you have the book, right? I do. It's rough. I mean, look at that. The, oh, that's cool. 2.8 pounds. And it's got your, your you know, and, and that's and so we had to find a special size box to ship that out. And then we found out that, that there's a media rate through the post office. I mean, we had to find out all this stuff in the dark. We were blind making this book, putting it together. Um, so that book uh, is what you would buy through us. If you go to Amazon, they have a print-on-demand book that's the other size that's like a regular... Oh, here. Let's see. Where is it? Well, it's somewhere. Um, but it's the regular size book, and uh, we had to resize it for Kindle. They wouldn't do it the other way. 
So mm. in doing so, Got it. Um, there's also a print on demand that you can buy through Amazon. And uh, it's the same book, a little bit different format. Um, but that's where Amazon or DZPlive.com. So DZP, Danny Zalesco Productions. Presents that. Or productions. Presents. They're both Presents. P's. Presents. No, you're, you're right. Presents. That's it. Uh, it's really funny that you mentioned the White Castle box because when I got that, it was sitting on my doorstep white castle and i'm like who sent me white castle burgers like i that's such an east coast thing because my mom is from new york and grew up with white castle and then i opened it and saw the box so i thought your publicist like just grabbed whatever box was available <laughs> but no. now i've put that in my head that i'm getting my mom some white castle burgers for mother's day because uh, she was very excited was, when i told her that it was so cool them i'll tell you something really funny i know you had a question but it, what was really funny is and I've heard this from several different people is somebody else receives the box at home and they don't know what it is and it's addressed to somebody else. So they just do the logical thing and stick it in the freezer. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. And it was cold. Dude, the box was cold. <laughs> See? So, uh, yeah, so I, I, we, we, we've had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that was that was fun. I even uh, emailed your publicist back and said, you totally fooled me. I thought I was getting White Castle. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just want to I just want to um, jump forward and just kind of make a comment uh, about you. Um, so you did go through kind of you kind of evolved in your business. You you ended up um, working for some bigger guys along the way. Um, and then you ended up back working for your own self again. But one thing that I really noticed in this was that there's so many artists that you have relationships along the way that became lifelong friends that were still there for you uh, in that process. And I just wanted to to say that that that's kind of a testament to your personality. And what, what do you think it is that helped you form those bonds and those relationships? Well, you know, there's no replacing the experience and the stories and the, the time of life you're going through with somebody. And in, and in this case, with, with a lot of the people in that book, it's again and again and again and again, every year, every other year, every three years. It all depends on their touring cycles. Because with a lot of those people in the book, I don't get to hang out with them at their houses or my house or at dinner because we're always, one of us is always working. So mm -hmm. the only sure way we can visit is if we book shows together, which is why I haven't stopped doing this because I'm not prepared to stop seeing all these people that I've become friends with throughout my life. And not to mention people still want to see them. And if anybody's going to make money off of their show, it ought to be me making it with them and for them. So, you know, there, there's a great deal of people who, who have just, stayed with me the same way booking agents sign acts when they're a new act and they, they see them as an opener for a, a, a club band somewhere. And, and they go, I really like this band and they sign them and they get them a deal and they get them booked and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And whenever that agent lose, leaves an agency, goes to a new agency, stands the reason that he's got those people with him going to the new agency. And, in my case, I had no idea I was ever going to leave my own company, which was called Evening Star. But it, it just turned in the late 90s. The whole consolidation thing 
came into play. <clears throat> I didn't own any real estate. I didn't own an amphitheater. I didn't own a nightclub. I was a promoter, 100% promoter, where a lot of other associates of mine who are also promoters turned into these big businessmen and they managed to get the cities or their banks or somebody into underwriting them, building these amphitheaters, which were multi-million dollar places. So that's what, when SFX started going around buying people at the late 90s, um, including me in the early 2000s, they were looking for people that had this real estate, but none of us knew that they were gonna try to package it together and, and sell it to a Clear Channel the way that they did. And suddenly we're working for this Christian radio network out of San Antonio, Texas. None of us sold to them. We sold to a whole nother idea and a whole different group. So none of us were really happy about it, except that we were still together. And all of us enjoyed, I think, after all those years of either competing or, or you know, being in the same room and, and, and doing the same thing, a very exclusive occupation. We liked working together. And then suddenly it turned out that Clear Channel wasn't making any money off of all of us concert promoters because they paid four and a half billion dollars to this mastermind who packaged us all together and spun us off bigger than any show any of us have ever done before. And, and they couldn't make the payments on the interest. It was two, it was two billion dollars. Mm. What was it? I mean, oh. what's 5% of four and a half billion dollars? A lot. It's Jeez. over 200 million a year <laughs> in interest. So, so mm. even, even those deep pockets of all of those radio stations that they have and TV stations, it couldn't pay for the loss. So that's when they, they figured out how to get rid of us. And that's how Live Nation was born. Mm. So wow. after five years with them, look, they out of nowhere, out of nothing, they have done nothing less than a phenomenal job. They're, they're a huge company on Wall Street, um, and, and they take care of concerts all over the planet. There's a lot of great people that work for them, friends of mine, um, but I'm just not one of them anymore. And, and it's, it's like I, I needed to get off of that treadmill, and, and I did. And, you know, in the meantime, I helped those people get credible because I was with them. And it's kind of difficult for me to, to leave there and say, oh, they're a bunch of jerks. Don't work for them anymore. My whole staff still works there from 10 years ago that I hired 20 years before that. And I love them. So everybody's got to work. Everybody's got to take a little fruit off the tree. I mean, sometimes, admittedly, I'm not happy. Uh, I might grouse about it, get really upset about it every now and again. But for the most part, we're busy enough with our Jackson Browns and our Alan Parsons and our ACDCs and our Eric Clapton's and all the cool people that we still work with um, whenever it is that they decide to get around. Um, you know, there's enough there on that tree for us to live off of. And uh, believe me, though, I'm always trying to get all those bands that I've been working with my whole life. Well, I want to I want to ask you one last you question, which I thought was really uh, really interesting. Um, your cover, the picture on the cover of the book is you with a ginormous box of cash. Cash is, I just wanted cash is king. 
Yeah, I want to know the, <laughs> this, the story behind that picture. Um, that was in 1988, and uh, Pink Floyd came out. Yeah. Pink Floyd came out with their momentary lapse of reason. And um, um, that was in 1988. I, my daughter was just born. She was born the same month that picture was taken, which was April. And what had happened was we booked one night of Floyd and the show sold great. And a few weeks later, their agent calls me up and goes, let's add a second show. So we added a second show. Second show wasn't wasn't doing so good um, because it should have gone on sale with the first show. Even though it was the next night, it wasn't selling great. So I, I tell a long story in the book about it, but the picture was taken because we only had parking for 8,000 in the minor league stadium where, the, where Floyd was playing, but we had the capacity at 25,000. We brought in 10,000 chairs for the field and then we brought in another 5,000 capacity um, on 2,500 bleachers on either side, third base and first base line. But the, the problem was we only had parking for 2,000 cars. And my security guy said to me, I'll go out and I'll buy all the parking lots nearby and we'll sell the parking and you'll keep all the money. That's what that is. So that, nice. that was... Um, and if you notice closely, that's a cassette box <laughs> filled <laughs> oh, with yeah. the money. And there is another box just like. Yeah, there's some money on the on the ground next oh, to oh, you. Oh, yes, I was very happy. <laughs> it was about two in the morning after the second show. They were gone. The shows were over. I mean, as much as I love Floyd and, and I love those shows, I, I couldn't have been more happy when they left because it it was a it was a lot of work and and there was a lot of just a lot of stress during that time between having the kid and and the shows the one show wasn't selling well and somehow managed to pull a couple of rabbits out at the end of the promotion and and we ended up selling seven thousand tickets in the last two days so save save wow. my house trust wow. me. That's great. So give me, give us the address, the email address, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the website once again on where people can get the book. It's dzplive.com. And, DZP and you can and also Amazon. do Kindle or print on demand at Amazon. And what I want to add, because I think you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, and, and you probably know people like this. I'm one of them. I don't read a lot of books. Uh, I have a lot of books. I've read a lot of books. And I mean to read a lot of books, but a lot of times those books don't find my way, find their way into my hands. And what I'm, what I've been hearing and finding really, and I'm really happy to say it about this book is that people say the same thing. I don't like to read books that much anymore. I, I just don't have the time, blah, 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 whatever the reason is, but this book I couldn't put down. And, 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 and the bottom line is, and I'm biased because I agree with it, but the reason I agree with it, is because it's about a topic that is so close to everybody, which is about the mm -hmm. whole communal aspect of, of mass assembly and getting together and enjoying something with strangers. I mean, there's something about that combination of going to a place maybe that you're familiar with, mm -hmm. maybe you're not familiar with it, but you're familiar with the band and the music and the band unites everybody. And I, maybe that sounds corny, I, not to me. And you're in San Francisco. It can't sound corny to you. 
I mean, you're you're in no. a land of the pot-headed pixies. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, I'm I'm a huge huge uh, San Francisco and Berkeley fan, by the way. When I first moved there in '72, as you're going up to Telegraph on Dwight Way, I was about three or four apartment buildings from the corner, and and that's right right wow. near where that Tower Records is up and to the left. Yeah, um, and, mm-hmm. and that's where that's where I got to live in '72. I just love it there. I mean, you know, you know what, what Danny? Um, what you just said was what you just said was so great because, um, and I and I uh, have heard this before, and it's music and it's also sports. You know, uh, and it's it's funny how both of them are there, where you can go to a place and not know somebody and be high fiving them because of a great play or a great song and we certainly miss it we really really miss you know, it and you, you know you can't for, reach you know. across the aisle and get a high five from somebody if they're social distancing too far so right. we yeah. we we need we need to have that element back um it, it yeah. i mean it's, it's really been highlighted and spotlighted as one of the fun great things that we all have the opportunity to do which is to all get together whether we know each other or not whether it's a concert or a baseball game there's all of these incredible characters that draw us in and keep us interested in there and then boy suddenly after all of that to be cut off from being able to see them much less Mm -hmm. you can't so people don't like can't people like yes you say yes Mm -hmm. i say yes you know let's let's go do something and uh I, I think I think it's going to happen soon. I think you're going to start seeing things loosen up this summer, and and by this fall, I really hope we're back in high gear. Um, but I don't think yeah, we're think completely by the out of the woods yet. Don't take it from me. Listen to the real experts and the scientists, and they'll tell you. I think the same thing. I've been hearing them say that it's like it's looking good. We're we're looking ahead, but we don't need this to turn around on us again, and mm-hmm. and and mess yeah. us up again because it. The letdown, I think, is just so hard to take. Um, a, a lo- this has been a long year. I know it's been for everybody. And, um, you know, we, we got we to gotta get back to doing it and, and, I, and doing it really right, you know, and, 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 and the music will get us through it. Well, thank you so Perfect. much for coming on the Spirit of Radio podcast. It's been a real pleasure. I uh, I agree with the people who have told you that this was a, a good read. Uh, you're a good storyteller. Um and the pictures are just amazing. And that's why I actually think you need to get the book because the <laughs> pictures won't do, uh, it won't do the pictures justice uh, having like the electronic version. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Danny. Thank you, Danny. I'm, I'm really happy to meet you guys and uh, look forward to, um, to hearing our, our broadcast and sharing with all of our peeps and keep it up. Yeah. Keep it and, up. And just just for people listening to this podcast, um, everybody that you love in rock music, um, blues, um, heavy metal, like everybody's in this book. <laughs> so get the book because uh, your favorite artist is probably in there. And Danny's probably uh, has a story with them. Uh, so anyway, thanks again. And if I don't, I'll thanks again, Danny. there you go this is the spirit of (laughs) on that note i'm frankie devita (laughs) i'm ken anthony this is the spirit of radio podcast you can reach us at the spirit of radio podcast at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook 
and Instagram. Danny Zalisco, thank, you, thank you so much. Frankie, what else, what else do you say at the end, Frankie? Keep the faith. Thanks for joining us on the Spirit of Radio podcast. We'll have another episode coming soon. Please feel free to like, share, or comment. You can reach Ken and Frankie at the Spirit of Radio Podcast at gmail.com. The Spirit of Radio Podcast, keeping the spirit of radio alive.